0: This podcast includes frank discussions of mature themes that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is intended to provide encouragement and support through personal storytelling. The views expressed are the opinions of the participants and not intended to be medical, legal, clinical, or professional information or advice of any kind.
1: Welcome to the Bubble Hour.
2: Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Welcome
3: to the Bubble Hour. Welcome, 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 welcome welcome, welcome, to the Bubble Hour. I own it, I did that,
4: not proud but that was me, and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from power, weakness head on.
0: Jean McCarthy and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. Hello and welcome to The Bubble Hour Archives, a treasure trove of episodes ranging from 2012 to 2022. I'm recovery advocate and author Jean McCarthy. I joined The Bubble Hour as a host in season two. Together with other hosts over the years, Ellie, Lisa, Amanda, and Catherine, we all extend to you our gratitude for listening and a heartfelt wish that this podcast will find a welcome home in your recovery toolkit. The resources mentioned on the show are available at thebubblehour.com, including information on the online support group called the BFB or Booth-Free Brigade often mentioned on the show. Now, if you're hearing this message, you're listening to one of our free archived episodes, and we'll make sure that there are loads of these available for you to enjoy. These are partial versions of the original recordings, and if you want to hear more, you can listen to full versions and the entire back catalog ad-free by joining us on Patreon. So just head to patreon.com slash thebubblehour to learn more. I'll also put a link in the show notes to make it easier even easier for you to find that. So, all right then. Enjoy the show.
2: Hi everybody and welcome to the Bubble Hour where real people still real, share real stories about recovery. Tonight's topic is about starting over, facing yourself after relapse. And I am here with my co-host Ellie. We have several guests with us tonight. We have Lisa and Lisa and Holly. So, many people who try to quit drinking alcohol have at least one relapse before achieving long-term sobriety. For many, a relapse is part of the recovery process. If you had a relapse, all is not lost. It is time to face the facts, pick yourself up, and start back on the road to recovery. A relapse can be a valuable lesson that helps to strengthen, resolve, and continue to live an even more authentic and fulfilling sober life. Relapsing is not an indictment. It is simply a reality. The problem is that once it has happened to you, it can be overwhelming to face what has happened. There is a tendency to heap blame on yourself to feel that you are a failure. This is counterproductive. This week on the show, we'll be looking at constructive ways to face yourself and move forward after relapse. And so, like I said, tonight we have some guests that have some experience with this. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to get right to having them share. So, Alyssa, could we hear from you on your experience?
1: Sir, Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Lissa, and I've just kind of written this out because I'm a little bit nervous, but I recently had a relapse and started right back, and uh, this is what I wrote. It happened. I thought about it for two days. I let my guard down, felt beat down. The disease told me that just one night won't kill me. The insanity of alcoholic think- thinking came right back. Internal triggers, all the usual subs- suspects. H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, plus the perfect storm of external triggers, financial, health, emotional. It is just usual life, but it all felt overwhelming, like I was the only one working on myself. I started to isolate. I wanted to take a break. Relapse entered my mind. I never wanted to go out for an extended period. I always knew I'd go right back to it the next day, but that's the insanity. The plan didn't work. The drink didn't bring me relief. With the first sip, the liquid burned like shame all the way down. Regret filled my cheeks, hot and angry. As I finished the drink, I swallowed hard, hoping to devour my self-pity and feeling of uselessness, but it didn't work. All the feelings I, had, I already had were now compounded by the self-loathing of knowing that i just let go of seven and a half months of continuous sobriety. I had forgotten the feeling of self-loathing in sobriety. I felt like I'd just lost it all. I failed. There's nothing worse than a head full of recovery and a belly full of booze. Mm. Then I reached out to some of my recovery community. I'd originally planned to hide it, but I knew the secret would eat me alive, so I confessed to another alcoholic and then to my family. I made myself accountable and renewed my commitment the very next day, I stepped right back in. It never occurred to me to stay out, thankfully. I immediately started getting into action, meeting with other sober alcoholics, making time for prayer and meditation, which I hadn't been for a while, and even seeing a medical doctor to discuss my family history of mental illness, both bipolar and depression, and how it might relate to my recovery. Today, I have five days and I feel renewed resolve and see my relapse as a springboard to deepen the journey. I already have taken a more honest look at my sobriety, my challenges, and accomplishments. I share only that it may encourage someone else to get back on the horse.
3: That's it. Wow!
2: Wow, that's a, that's so powerful. This is Liam. Um,
3: Almost speechless listening to that because that kind of—I mean—I can just relate so much to everything that you're talking about, and it's that exact kind of honesty that I think is so—it's what saves people in the midst of all the shame that we feel when we relapse yeah. or slip.
2: Yeah, very powerful. Thank you, Amanda. Do you want me to? Yeah, Ellie. Um, do you want to do you want to share your story? And I I just wanted to add too, as part of one of your 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 recovery communities, Lissa, it was just so amazing to me. I know you know how hard it can be, and it was so amazing to me to see how you jumped right back in and got on the the got in the center of the pack of you know of that particular community, and just to. See, it, it it's awesome to see you, what you've done just in five days, and to see the people around you, the love and support that you get. I think a lot of people, you know, they they don't know what to do. Like you said, you 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 talked about hiding it and. Is that's what a lot of people want to do, but it would, it just, it would just, I think it would just, I know for me, it would eat me up alive, and, you know, it was so amazing and powerful to see you just, you know, get right back in there and, you know, with a renewed sense of purpose, and that was, it's just... um, Yeah,
1: I have to say, you know, if it wasn't for my recovery community and other alcoholics, both, you know, sober or not, I mean, I'm so glad I didn't think about it too much before I jumped back in, to be honest. In fact, during... The actual drinking, I reached out to people in my recovery community and which is something completely crazy, but smart. I mean, that I did because in the end, when I, when I came out, so to speak, to my family that I had relapsed, I did not get any support. It was the exact opposite. And all a lot of shame was heaped onto me after the fact. So I'm really happy that. If you know that I did get back into the middle of the pack with my recovery community because those people who will get me, my people, they really carried me forward. There could have been a really big chance that I would have stayed out for a really long time or completely given up had I not gotten back to the people that that really understand the issue and talking to other alcoholics for me is, is the actual life and death difference of being able to stay sober. So I mean I'm so happy that I had that, that community to to reach out to because i Ben, been just my normy family and friends I probably wouldn't have.
5: Well, so this is Holly. It's so important for all of us who are in recovery to hear somebody in real time, you know, face to face as it were, say it it it's it is not the answer. It didn't give me the relief that I was seeking. You know, all of the old lies and all of the old shame and all of the old guilt just came roaring right back because we all harbor that that desperate hope that, yeah. that somehow if we drink again, it's going to be our friend again. And it's so important. Your message is so critical to recovering alcoholics to, to hear firsthand that 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 is just part of the insanity of the disease, that it's never the answer, and it's never going to be.
1: You're right, and that was a big shock to me because, I mean, like an old relationship that's bad for you or anything, you know, you always just remember the good times. You completely, you know, nostalgia, you completely forget the bad stuff. And it was, like I said, the first step, immediately that self-loathing and self-hatred and all that ugly stuff that comes along with alcoholism and, and shame that I really haven't felt for seven and a half months. I mean I've lived, I've lived free of all of that for so long that I had forgotten how completely awful that feels. And so no, it didn't it didn't numb me like like I used to think it did or maybe like it used to, but there wasn't even a chance of it working on me anymore. It was just it's ruined for me. So I'm really happy actually. Starting a clock is just one arbitrary thing. I haven't lost anything that I'd learned before and even now I feel I'm I'm much deeper in my in my journey that I am today than I was last week before I had done it. hmm Definitely. So <laughs>
2: oh, doggy. That's my Charlie. I have a visitor on this show. Charlie agrees. <laughs> That's a dog feel of approval.
3: Um, this is Ellie, and I just, I, I'm so incredibly inspired and moved by everything that you talked about, Lisa, and uh, it, it segues really nicely into a, a part of what I wanted to talk about. I just, I, I wanted to, start by saying that I think you know this topic of tonight's show of starting over I, it's really important to clarify that starting over isn't the thing as going back to the beginning and I when I was struggling after a relapse somebody with 25 years of sobriety literally like took my face in her hands and she looked at me and she said if you were driving from Boston to Los Angeles and you got lost in Chicago would you drive back to Boston and start all over again Or would you whip out your map, get your tools going, and start again in Chicago and just keep going on your journey and think about why you got lost and not make those same mistakes again. And that helped me so much because Relapse is such a loaded word for so many people. And, you know, it, arguably it should be a loaded word because I think fear of relapse and what it means it can be a healthy deterrent from drinking. But really when it comes down to it, it's just a label. It's just a word, just like the word alcoholic. And, and labels in and of themselves are, are sort of are harmless, really. So when the quote-unquote worst happens or you relapse or you slip, the weight and meaning that we can ascribe to the word relapse is can be, I think, very difficult to claw your way back from, at least it certainly was for me. I relapsed after uh, a little over four years of sobriety, and I'll just Mm -hmm. briefly talk about that in a moment, but it had been like this giant looming, like the artwork, like I did that thing that I never thought I would do, and that shame, Alyssa, one of the things I liked the most about what you shared was that you had planned to hide it, and you didn't. And Mm -hmm. when we have built... uh, solid enough foundation of people around us that we can find safe people to go talk to. It it became, it sounds like, almost a knee-jerk reaction for you to say, I I know what I need to do to save my butt. And not letting the shame and the feelings that come with the idea of, oh my God, I just relapsed um, keep you from doing what you needed to do, or for me. And it also doesn't, starting over, certainly doesn't mean that you've failed. Arguably, I would say that the times that I have had to start over in almost anything in my life, whether it was after relapse in my recovery or in other difficult situations in my life and I've had to make big life changes. It's in the starting over where I've learned the most because I think that it's, I've said this before, it's not the mistakes that we make, but it's what we learn from them that matters. And relapse really only connotes what it is that I let it. If it makes me feel failure and shame, then that's what it's going to do to me. If it makes me make some important changes or do some hard work and look at the things that led up to either the sinking, do I have resentments, do I have anger, are there toxic, or situations in my life, is there something I need to do more of or less of, you know, I think that these that these circumstances can be unbelievable teachers if we let them.
0: Do you ever wish for a little bit of recovery inspiration on the go? Tiny Bubbles is a new podcast that brings you the best bits of the Bubble Hour podcast in quick little episodes, just 15 minutes long, but packed with wisdom, insight, and encouragement to live your life wholeheartedly and alcohol-free. Look for Tiny Bubbles wherever you get podcasts and subscribe today. Tiny Bubbles, little bits of recovery goodness brought to you by the Bubble Hour. Sometimes all you need is a little pep talk so you can get back to living that beautiful life you're building.
3: When I first got sober, I was profoundly aware of letting other people in my life down because it was all about the outside for me when I first got sober, not about the inside. But after a few years of recovery, I realized that the feeling of cheating on yourself is really pretty awful. I think it's almost worse than feeling like you let other people down if you're, you know, you start to fall back in love with yourself again and get your confidence back and you've overcome shame and vulnerability and then you do find yourself making excuses for why you're drinking and you just can't hide from yourself anymore. But I think that that also speaks to a lot of what Lisa shared too, is that if you, if I, I had built up a base of people that were safe and in recovery who I could talk to, who understood, because like with Lisa, there was a lot of finger-pointing and how could you and why did you and you've gone and ruined it all. And, um, you know, it took me a long time to even begin to rebuild the trust within my family and in my non-recovery community, but the people who understood alcoholism and, and what was going on were able to really carry me through it, and they could only help me as much as I was honest with them because I had the relapse when I found the lump, and then a few months later, I had another brief relapse for one one night, and I was so tempted to just say, oh, forget it, that doesn't really count, but it does count. And if I hadn't been able to come clean about that, I know eventually that that shame from that would have led me back to a drink. And as hard as it is to be able to be honest with other people who are safe, it it is probably the same that saved me, as Lissa talked about. It's really the same that helped me not lie to myself, because I'm really good at that. I think alcoholics in general are pretty good at that. <laughs> like, oh, you thought you might have had cancer. Of course you drank. That's not, a, you know, just all these crazy things that I would think about. And so I think that the, the biggest pitfall with starting over is that, you know, this is kind of a, a weak analogy, but if you think about dieting, you know, like if you've been on a diet and you've been really good and you've been good for like three weeks and then you... You have a slip and you eat like half a pie. You know, I think a lot of us have those, it's those maybe I'll only eat half a pie, but that's what I do. It's those feelings of, oh, now I've screwed it up for good. I might as well just keep eating until Monday. I'll start again on Monday. Or I might, you know, now I've done it. So it's those, that self sabotage, the self destructive behavior that comes in. That's a really hard thing to turn around. And I don't think that I can do it by myself. I need other people to come in and be like, don't let that self-sabotaging voice bring you down further because no matter what you've done, you can always make it worse. And um, with that's enough so distance true. between being honest with myself and other people that that's really the way to build back self-confidence and even pride in overcoming something difficult because it really, at least for me, it's in the challenges where I have learned the most. And made some changes that I need to make, and so that when I start to feel those feelings again or my life starts to get crazy again or I start to get away from recovery again, I recognize those things as potentially dangerous. Whereas before I relapsed, I didn't really understand what people meant when they said you relapse mentally way before you ever drink, and now I understand what that (laughs) means. It's not like we're endorsing you. Run out and relapse and see what you learn. It's great. It's awesome. That's not at all what what I'm implying, at least. I mean more that by... that that all of this is part of the journey. There's no finish line, there's no destination, there's no way to get an A-plus in recovery. So whatever happened to you or to me or to anybody else, it's just part of our journey, and it's really what we do with it that matters. That's really the point that I wanted to make the most. Absolutely. And I mm -hmm. like
2: the analogy, and I don't know how to say it right, so Ellie, I know know you do, but I like the analogy of the alcoholism as a disease. And we're in remission from our disease, and the, the hope is that we stay in long-term remission. And, right. But sometimes it comes back. And, you yep. know, and you know, so then we have to treat it again, and we might have to treat it differently. And I think that's so important. that's, you know, one thing for me is, is you know, so it happens, okay, what do I need to do different next time? To you know what? What can I? What can I do a little bit differently, if that makes sense? So that's just you know one absolutely. little thing
3: to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before I relapsed, I would have said that would never happen to me, and that's now that's not something that I would ever <laughs> I would never say would never happen to me, because I yeah. fully understand now that we only have the moment in front of us and the date in front of us, and I when other people tell me about their. Or slept. I mean, oh, the final point that I wanted to make too is that the, the distinguishing line between starting over and relapsing—it it sounds like a, a small distinction—and there is some overlap. But I think one of the things that the reason why we talked about this show is being starting starting over is that there are lots of people who are trying to get alcohol out of their lives who may not even have admitted to themselves or, or to other people, or there may be other people in their lives that don't think they have a problem. There's many, many people that are part of the recovery community that we're on that are just trying to get to stop drinking. And they wouldn't even use the word relapse because they haven't even said that they're an alcoholic. And I don't really think that those labels necessarily matter as long as what they're reaching for is a better life or a healthier life or a feeling of getting rid of something that is, you know, slowly destroying their peace of mind. So, you know, that's why we refer to this as starting over instead of a show about relapse. Because we all know what the feeling of starting over means. And what you're calling yourself, whether you're admitting it that you're an alcoholic or not, it, it doesn't really matter. It's really kind of the idea that you're trying to make some important changes in your life, and those changes involve honesty and a lot of hard work, whether or not you think you're an alcoholic or not. I hope I explained that clearly enough. But it's, it's, one of the guests in the show, hopefully later on, will talk a lot about how Many times, and I think we've all done it where we've tried to stop on our own, and we weren't able to do it because, but um, well, we kept starting out, we kept trying, kept trying, kept trying, and then eventually something comes along that works, and it usually involves other people, and it usually involves surrender, but that, that's still part of the process, the point to, you know, that lead up to when we actually finally consider ourselves sober. Anyway, I'll stop babbling on about that. What, Elisa, do you want to talk now about your story and share a little bit? Sure. Thanks, Ellie. So, you
1: know, I I think that's sort of when my recovery journey started, and it started back when I finally really realized that I was an alcoholic, and, you know, with the help of some loved ones and family, I checked into first a detox, then a 30-day rehab, followed by a transitional living arrangement at Gosnold in Cape Cod an excellent facility, and it, I really, you know, I threw myself into recovery. And in the transitional um, living arrangements, I got very active in the, you know, outside recovery community and felt like, okay, this is great. I'm ready to go home. And I relapsed shortly after I returned home. And, you know, what I, kind of looking back, I think what was going on in my head is I kind of felt like I went away to get fixed. And, you know, I was looking to sort of return back to my life before drinking became a problem and sort of do the normal things, go to the same places, do the things I used to to do before, just minus the alcohol. You know, I I thought up until recently, you know, before I knew it, I just relapsed. It wasn't something I planned. It happened quickly, and I got back on my horse quickly. But in reality, it, it there was some subconscious planning involved. You know, I, I've shared with several of my friends, you know, I, I felt like I just wanted to go back to Cape Cod and go to my safe little place and thought that I couldn't be successful in my local community. You know, I did what I was told initially. I went to some meetings, but I didn't feel the warm, welp- welcome connection that I had down at the Cape. You know, but that but was on me, looking back. I didn't put myself out there. You know, very quickly, I kind of felt like a, an outsider and, you know, the meetings in particular that I was going to had a great message, but I just wasn't finding the right sort of people. It, you know, and I, I look back to I just didn't understand that it's what it meant to ask for help and that, you know, what I've learned now that I have some sober time in my coming up on two years and I'm finally in a position that I can help other women. And um, what I didn't understand at the beginning is when they'd say, You know, ask for help. It helped the person who is helping you as much as you need it. But I did that today. So my relapse didn't last long. And, you know, I guess the most important thing that I can say is that you can't unlearn what you've already learned. You know, here I had several months of just really 100% working on my recovery and I relapsed. So I thought, well, my way's not working. And I had a sober friend. Who you know is very active locally, and I put myself right in her back pocket. I asked for help. I did whatever it takes. I you know I, I was a shadow, really. Went to different recovery meetings, and also went to places that you know. I realized also that being alone was a trigger for me, so I made sure that I planned my day so that I had very little alone time at the beginning. And sometimes that meant just, you know, spending a Sunday afternoon and I can think back at somebody's house that, you know, that were all sober people, not really liking where I was at. But at least I would say I sort of listened to others and I heard, you know, surround yourself with sober women and get comfortable. And and the only way people can get to know you is if, if you let them in.
0: Take Good Care is a new collection of recovery readings inspired by The Bubble Hour. If you love the encouragement and support you find here on this podcast, then this new book is for you. Visit thebubblehour.com for more information or check the show notes for a link to purchase. You'll find Take Good Care on Amazon Worldwide. Take Good Care, recovery reading inspired by The Bubble Hour, the perfect gift for yourself and friends. others find the message of recovery we champion on the bubble hour plus get access to the entire backlist ad-free by joining us on patreon patron support helps with the ongoing expense of making free versions of the show available as well as the cost to make new content like our spin-off podcast tiny bubbles become a bubble hour patron today at patreon.com slash the bubble hour and help us help others through stories of strength and hope
2: So now we'd like to hear from Holly. Like
5: to okay. Good evening, ladies. This is Holly. Um, thrilled to be back here on the Bubble Hour. I've been thinking about this topic, and uh, boy, I could I could have written an awful lot of what Lisa just said. Of course, there's a lot of similarities, but in my particular history, I decided that I knew that that. Alcohol had become a problem. I knew that I had to do something about it. I didn't know what. So I began going to a local recovery meeting and and I would go to the meeting on Tuesday night and come home and drink, you know, because I really I d I didn't have the intent of quitting drinking. I wanted to I needed to try to figure out what was going on and, and I was still, you know, on the debate team. Am I an al- the big A? Am I an alcoholic? Am I not an alcoholic? You know, I was still, and my disease was still talking to me, saying, "Nah, you know, you're you're fine." And so I would, then I would listen to people, and as I began to get, to, I I began to get to know some of the people. I would go to the same meetings, and I would see a lot of the same faces, and I began to get to know them, and they had something that I wanted. And I could see the laughter and the fun. Meanwhile, I'm driving home every night from the recovery meetings crying the whole way home in my car. You know? And okay. so it, so really, you know, I had thought, well, I'll go to a recovery meeting or two, and I'll find out about what this alcoholism is all about. And maybe I think in the back of my mind I was thinking maybe I'll learn how to moderate or I'll learn how to control it, you know, so I can be a better alcoholic. And so, you know, it took me a while. It, it it took me a while. It took me probably a good four to six weeks to get to the place that we all reach where I had I was standing at a precipice and I had to decide, am I powerless over alcohol? That was the big number one thing that kept coming back. Am I powerless over alcohol? And of course, I'd i go to recovery meetings, and an awful lot of the topics would would revolve around that. Interestingly enough, and I would I, I would I would leave a recovery meeting, and i with a, armed with a little bit of information and a little bit of hope, and I'd say, all right, now I'm going to really I'm going to really do this. And I, of course, wasn't talking to a soul. And I wasn't uh, sharing with anybody, and I wasn't opening up to anybody. I couldn't even admit it to myself, much less somebody else. And so I would get the magic three days, four days, and then I'd drink again. And I'd go back the next week with my tail between my legs, and I'd get maybe five or six days. And it went on like this now for a couple more months. And I was so... Frustrated, All of the feelings that Lista said, you know, I'd, I'd have a little bit of sobriety, but it wasn't enough that I'd even really begin to start feeling good about myself. And I'd start drinking again. I can't get this. I don't know what's wrong with me. And the, the self-loathing and the, and the things that I was saying to myself were so self-defeating. Well, of course, that's the disease wanting to keep you right where you are. And the only thing I've always said as part of my story, the only thing I did right in the beginning was that I kept coming. And I remember when I walked into my first recovery meeting, it was in December of 2009, and there's this guy in our meetings, one of my favorite people, his name is Deuce, And Deuce came up to me and introduced himself, and we just chatted a little bit. Nothing about alcohol. He didn't, you know, ask me anything, and he patted me on the shoulder, and he said, you come back because you you really help us. I thought, I help you? What is that all about? And, of course, now I understand what it was that he was saying, but that stuck in my mind, that he came up to me, and he said, you keep coming. We need you here. You help us. And so then now I was going to more meetings rather than just once a week. I was trying to go two, three, four nights a week. And I was beginning to put longer periods of time together. I'd get two weeks together, and then I'd go out and drink. I never went out and stopped coming to meetings entirely. I would get up and go to a meeting the next day and start again. And I'd put another two weeks together, and then I'd drink again. But I, the only thing I did right was that I kept getting up the next day. And I keep coming, and I knew in my heart of hearts that I wanted what these people had I wanted the the, the real laughter I wanted the the real friendships the real I, the I wanted the honesty because of course, as any good alcoholic, I was lying to everybody, including myself, and I just i couldn 't put it together, and like Lisa' just said. I'm, I'm a smart girl. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm an intelligent woman. I'm capable. I'm successful in a lot of areas in my life. Why can't I put this together? Mm-hmm. And I had the, the magic 30 days. I could not get to the magic 30 days. I once went three weeks, and I remember thinking, ah, I've got this. Three weeks, I've got this. And I, I drank again, and what my um, story really was – my drinking again was not so much a function of something happening in my life that was upsetting me it was boredom because i have found that boredom is the biggest danger sign for me not even necessarily being alone because i like being alone and i like getting stuff done when i'm alone when i'm sober of course but it was boredom you know that used to be if you think back to your drinking days what are you doing friday night or going out drinking it was something to do and you take away that and there's this huge void and i was a teacher at the time and i'd get out of school on friday afternoon and i'd be home by 3:30 and i would look at these four walls and think how in the hell am i going to get to monday morning without i was bored what do i do until i used to you know have a drink while i was making dinner what what do i do now so for me what I did, because I kept coming to, to recovery meetings and because I listened, I heard an awful lot of very wise women who had been through this journey before me. And they said the witching hour was hard for me, that, you know, 4 to 7 p.m. time. And so I found that I had to keep myself really busy. I was on the phone with somebody or I, if I had something that I had to do, pay bills, organize something, or run errands, that's when I did it. Because it would keep me out of just sitting at the four walls thinking that a drink might be a good idea right now. And I really took that to heart. And so I found, like Lisa said, I began to organize my day. I had a plan. And it sounds really labor-intensive, what, a plan for the day? But I really, truly did. And I'd get up in the morning when it was quiet. And I would do my sort of meditating and I would set my day and I'd look at what my day looked like and where I thought the hours were that were going to cause me trouble. And I tried to make a plan. And then I tried to stick with the plan. And then I went to the meeting and I would talk to people about my plan. And I'd say, okay, it worked today, you know. And so little by little... I was able to put together still pathetically short amounts of time I couldn't even get to 30 days that's why when somebody you know posts online that they have nine days nine days that's huge that's I can so relate to that nine days throw me a party you know it was so hard and little by little, I started to have more success, but I will tell you, I went to my first recovery meeting in December of 2009, and on May 4th, 2010, so that's, you know, six months, <clears throat> was, that was the last day that I drank, and my sobriety date is May 5th, and I did not know when I got up on Wednesday morning, May 5th, that that was going to be my sobriety date. I didn't know that. What I knew was that I drank the night before. What I knew was that what was once my friend, my soother, my place to hide, I had had enough in recovery, I had heard enough from other alcoholics that this no longer worked for me. I knew that what I was doing, like Ellie said, I was hiding from myself. I was lying to myself. I knew that alcohol was never again going to work for me. And so my choice was really to keep lying to myself and keep feeling as miserable as I was feeling or to get up and try again. So this was probably on, on May fifth, two 2010, was maybe the 65th time I had a day one. I mean, I, you know, I had had so many day ones in that six months, but it never crossed my mind to not get up in the morning and try again. And I got up in that morning and I set my day and I kind of pinpointed what I thought would be bad times of the day for me and I got through my day, day one, and then I got up on day two and I did the same thing. And the one thing that I did, like Lisa said, I started going to more meetings. One very wise person in recovery said to me, did you drink every day? (laughs) <laughs> hell yeah, well, you really should consider going to a meeting every day. And that was the only, that was how they said it to me. Not you have to, you might want to consider. So I took that seriously, and I began to go to a meeting every day, and I began to plan my days around what I thought would be difficult times. I never went to any kind of an organization or, a, or something where alcohol was served that I didn't have a plan. Like Lisa said, I had my plan. I knew how I was getting there, when I was leaving, how I was getting home. I knew, and the minute I hit the door, I had that glass of soda in my hand. If you have a glass of soda in your hand, everybody leaves you alone because they don't care what's in your glass. So I just little things, you know, and, and, of course, I'm going to meetings every day, so I'm hearing more and more of these things about how to get through the next day. And that was what really Turned it for me. But like I said, I had no clue on May 5, 2010 that that was going to be my first day in long-term sobriety. I had no idea. I just got up. And tried again so my message to people who have tried and relapsed to people who maybe haven't been able to put together several months even who maybe are struggling to put a week together or a couple of days together my message is don't give up because you don't know tomorrow may be the first day that you can begin to put the pieces together and that uh, gives me tremendous hope when I think back on it now, and tremendous, tremendous love, support, and empathy for people who relapse. When I hear that someone's relapsed and they say how hard it is to walk up and get their 24-hour chip again, I just sit there overwhelmed with love and admiration for them. No judgment. I've been there, and I'm just so grateful that they have the courage to stand up and say, maybe, you know, my journey can help you. Maybe you can hear something in what I'm saying that will help you stay sober for another day. And and that's what it does for me.
0: All right, everybody. This is where we leave off for this shorter version of this conversation on Starting Over After Relapse. But the episode does continue for another 30 minutes, and you can hear that If you join us over on Patreon, where we have the extended versions ad-free of all of our shows. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for walking this walk with us. We're glad you're here. Sober is a great way to live. And if it's something you aspire to, keep going. It's worth the effort. If you are walking this walk, please know you're not alone. We thank you for being here. Until next time, please take good care. I
4: own it. I did that.
0: Not proud,
4: but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power, weakness, head on. there to rob you of your pride. Turn the light on, turn the light on, you can shine. When you see my I did that, not proud that that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. I'm not looking for excuses, I just want to be.